I want to share a story with you as well. I do have to tell you I got permission to share this story. Uh, when I was in South Carolina in the military, uh, Aaron, we were dating at the time. Uh, it was her summer uh, in college between uh, her final year, her senior year, and so she came that summer and looked for a job and got a job waiting tables uh, so that we could be near each other for that summer. She stayed with the family in the church and she uh, waited tables and made some money and then she went back to college. But that summer she, get, she met someone at the restaurant that she was working at. They had worked that summer together who of all things, even though she only knew her for a number of months uh, at that point or maybe a number of weeks at that point, she invited the entire staff that had been working there, including my wife, to come to her wedding. And so she was getting married and she came to the wedding and, and uh, I don't remember if we went to the wedding or just the reception, uh, the rest of it's blurry there. So we went to this wedding of her friend and uh, her, her co-worker. So we go and she sees her at the reception, she comes up and we'd been standing, it seemed like for hours, it was a hot day and we'd been standing, we were both just kind of standing on drinking soda and, and just having a good time waiting for uh, the bride to arrive at the reception. And she's kind of making her way through the, re the receiving line. And my wife, Erin, she, she gives her, she walks up to her and says, you look beautiful. And she gives her a big hug and tells her how beautiful she is and has a Pepsi in her hand when she does it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you see where this is going. And so I stood in horror, not believing what my wife was about to do. And she wrapped her arms around this bride and poured it all the way down the back of her beautiful white dress. She's blushing up here, yes. We don't know, I don't think we remember her name. We left almost immediately. And she never spoke to her again. At work, there was like, it, it was time for us not to be friends anymore. It was like, if this is your wedding day, this is an unforgivable, you know, I'm saying this in kind of a tongue-in-cheek way. This was the unforgivable thing that could happen on your wedding day. And you can talk to my wife, Erin, afterwards. <laughs> as she's trying to crawl into a hole right now here in front of all of you. It's an unforgivable thing to do. But yes... There's a lot more serious things that need forgiving than that. And you might be here this morning coming through a very painful season. You might be in the middle of it. The hurt is raw. The, the image that we've used to, uh, to talk about forgiveness is that band-aid. Like, because there's something very painful about going through forgiveness. And so I want to ask this first question. What if forgiveness seems impossible? What if forgiveness seems impossible? It can be a difficult subject for us. We can find it hard to forgive others for what they have done to us. And we can find it hard to forgive ourselves or even grasp the, the, the real pain that we've inflicted on someone else. And when we start to get that, we, we, we get stuck. So how do we move on from here? God has forgiven us completely. As we're going through this series, as you see the titles, maybe you've, you've noticed that there's a progression. Uh, we're talking about radical forgiveness. And, and first we're saying, get it. That was last week. This week we're talking about give it. And next week we'll talk about live it. And we're going to give you some examples of that. But last week we talked about get it. We are separated from God by sin. And the only remedy for that disease is forgiveness. His forgiveness. Radical forgiveness that comes from God. This week we were talking about radical forgiveness. Give it. Once you've been forgiven by God, our responsibility is to forgive others as well. It's easy for Christians to forget how Jesus said his followers would actually live. 
Uh, we, we say that we're Christ followers, but there's, there's actually living this thing out called Christianity or living out the gospel means that we're going to look a little bit different than the people around you. And at the end of the day, the life that really has an impact on this world is the transformed life. The once I was and now I am life that has everything to do with radical forgiveness. And you go down through the history of the church, this church, 200 years of history here, the high points of the church, the best days of the church, and the best days of transformed lives will come back to this root issue of radical forgiveness. Jesus knew this. He knew that transformed lives are really what would change the world, and we see it happen in the Gospels again and again and again. Imagine that you've been invited to a formal dinner. Uh, there's a, a guest of honor who is there, but somehow uh, this teacher who's come to town, you make the list. You've been invited. You get to go to this place. It's at a huge house. Uh, you ring the door, and of course, it's a huge door. And then when it opens up, you don't actually speak to the, the person who owns the house, but there's a butler or someone who brings you in. And all of a sudden, as you've been there and you start to have dinner and you've interacted with some people and you, you realize that there's the who's who is in this room and you just shook hands with the mayor and you just shook hands with whoever it is that you would shake hands with in this scenario. And you just got to meet these people. And in the middle of it, as you're having dinner and you're talking to each other and trying to feel the room out, uh, someone barges through the door. There's an uninvited guest who's there. Uh, you are there to hear this speaker speak. Uh, he's a teacher. He started to gain uh, publicity in the area, and he's, he's now in this home, and you've been invited there. And this person barges in and goes over to that speaker, interrupts what he's doing. And after you've seen her move a little bit, you realize, wait a minute, the way that she's dressed, uh, her behavior, this is definitely a prostitute. And as she comes in and she starts giving him a back massage and pouring oil on his back, you're looking at the people across from you at the table. You're like, what world am I in right now? What is happening? Why is no one saying anything? And as you are in shock and as you're trying to figure out, whispering to the people across the table, what am I supposed to do? Or why is he not doing anything or saying anything? If that makes you uncomfortable just sitting here right now, that's exactly the scene that unfolds in Luke chapter 7. How would you expect this teacher to respond? How would you expect the room to look? What are you going to do? This bizarre scene, this socially taboo, this even erotic and scandalous activity by this woman, what are you supposed to do? Now the backdrop of this if you're now in Luke chapter 7, the backdrop of the scene is Jesus has been in the region of Galilee. He's been preaching and teaching and ministering the gospel. He's been healing. He's been gaining notoriety in the area. People now know who Jesus is. And he's gaining publicity for casting out unclean spirits. He's even raised a young man from the dead just a couple chapters previously. The word has gotten out that this Jesus is moving through the region. So Simon, who's a Pharisee, invites him to dinner. Now, having dinner guests is not something unusual in this culture. Uh, it's something that you would do often. You would in invite a visiting rabbi to come, and so the teachings could be heard by all people and discussed uh, over a meal. 
and they would do this in a way they would even have like a patio area outside it was common practice for the dinner to be kind of open to the public or at least uh, have ways that people could sit outside and pay attention to what was happening inside because this rabbi was one of honor and you wanted to be able to bring them in and this whole scene uh, that they could listen in on would be played out in front of the whole community and so as this awkward moment is happening as all of the the strain and the tension of what's going on as you're watching this all unfold you are in the community and you're able to see all of this happen you get to see how Simon responds you get to see how Jesus responds this unforgivable act in many ways that this prostitute has done how is Jesus going to respond What if forgiveness seems impossible? Let me give you this first point. Radical forgiveness rejects common sense. Radical forgiveness rejects common sense. We're in Luke chapter 7. We're going to begin reading in verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now it says reclined at the table. They would have low tables and they would actually kind of lay there uh, next to the table. If you've seen the painting of the Lord's Supper, that kind of gives you an idea of uh, the tables would not be what we're for culture, things would look a little bit differently. So they would kind of uh, lay on one arm by the table and their feet would kind of kick out to the side. And it, hopefully that kind of makes a little more sense to, the, to you as it goes forward. Verse 37, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And she stood behind him and his feet weeping. Again, his feet are kind of out to the side. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisees who invited them saw this, he said to himself, to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, and that she is a sinner. So this type of party is a type of public entertainment. It's a way for people to kind of gather around and see this guest from some renowned area or some someone of of high regard is now here, and you can invite all of the neighborhood to come and see. But did Simon invite Jesus because he had high respect and high regard for him? No. And you'll see his response. As he responds, you'll see exactly why. He was one of the Pharisees. They were actually inviting him in to try to make a public mockery of him. Uh, It was clear that he did not have the training that the other Pharisees had. And so there was multiple times that they actually would engage him in the public arena to try to make a fool out of him. They thought that they could make him look like a bumbling idiot of a carpenter. And so as they made this different times, Jesus kept demonstrating that not only did he was able to play with the big boys, but he was able to actually make them look foolish. This dinner was a way to trap him, that they could secure evidence that he could be, that could be used against him. One of the commentators I was reading, he termed the dinner party as an investigation under the pretense of hospitality. This was an investigation under the pretense of hospitality. Now do you see why Simon did not stop this woman from coming in? Uh, This was the best case scenario for him. This woman comes running into the room. She was a notorious sinner, an unclean, defiled, dirty, degraded, disgusting person to everyone in that community. And she just came barging through the door. He couldn't have had a better moment set up and planned ahead of time. But you know what? It's not her act that is unforgivable. It was actually her 
that she was unforgivable. That was the issue. That As everyone looked at it, there was no way that this woman could be forgiven for what she had done and the way that she had ruined the community is the way that they felt. That she could not be forgiven. That this was not just something she had done. This, this one act was not what was unforgivable. It was, it was her. She was the problem. Imagine, she's surrounded with these religious men, the leaders of the day, and they're all there. They're all looking at her, condemning her, shaming her, despising her. This woman is weeping. If you ever heard someone weep, that's different than a, a cry or a sob. It's just a loud weep or wail. Her tears are falling on his feet. She came, she anointed him with expensive perfume. But before she could even open the jar, her tears are pouring on his feet with emotion. Those tears represent expressed repentance and gratitude for who he is. Due to her obvious past, everyone in the room knew who she was. Jesus should have pushed her away. If nothing else, for the optics of what this was looking like in front of all the people who were there, this was not good for PR by any means. So she's there. He should push her away. He should ask her to leave. She's out of place here. But he doesn't. Because radical forgiveness rejects common sense. Radical forgiveness rejects common sense. In October 2006, not too far from here, Lancaster, PA, there was a tragic shooting in an Amish community where 10 girls were shot. Do you remember this in the news? It's, it's 10 years ago now. I couldn't believe it when I went back and started looking for it. 10 years ago, there was 10 girls shot in a schoolhouse. And this is what the Amish did in response to the school shooting. In the midst of their grief over the shocking loss, they didn't cast blame, they didn't point fingers, they didn't hold a press conference where they had lawyers standing around behind them. Instead, they reached out with grace and compassion and forgiveness for the shooter's family because he shot himself afterwards. The afternoon, the same afternoon of the shooting, the Amish, uh, there's one of the grandfathers, he went, uh, that was killed, he expressed forgiveness. He went to the house and expressed forgiveness to the family of Charles Roberts, the shooter. The same day, Amish neighbors visited their family to comfort them in sorrow and in pain. Later that week, the Roberts family were invited to the funeral of one of the Amish girls who had been killed. They invited the family of the shooter to their daughter's funeral. And then later that same week, the Amish mourners outnumbered the family members of the shooter at that funeral. That's ridiculous. That's radical forgiveness. In a world at war, in a society that points fingers and blames others, everything you see on the news, it's, it's, it's blaming and finger pointing every single day, all the time. This reaction is unheard of. And as the reporters came and they flooded the area and asked these people who had chosen to live a simple life, they asked them, how could you forgive such a terrible, unprovoked act of violence against innocent children? Radical forgiveness rejects common sense. Secondly, radical forgiveness requires great cost. Radical forgiveness requires great cost. Picking up in verse 40. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Remember, Simon was talking to himself. 
He didn't say this aloud, and he responds. He says, Simon, I've got something to say. Tell me, teacher, he said. Verse 41. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and another 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Now I think Jesus is playing with him a little bit. He says, Simon, you think you're a great teacher? Let me share a story with you that gets very elementary when it comes to spirituality. Let's deal with this. Two guys owe money. One guy owes 50 days wages and is a common laborer. Another guy owes 500 days wages. That's what denarius is. It's, it's a day's wage. He owes 500 days of labor. Neither can repay, and the lender forgives both of them. Now, Simon, A or B, which one has been forgiven more? Which one is more excited about the forgiven debt? As he looks at him, he says, well, the guy with the extra zero, 50 days, 500 days, the guys with the extra zero, that guy is going to be more excited about the forgiveness. Jesus does this in front of all the other men. He says, you're right, Simon. You've come to the right point. It's a very simple parable. What do you think the point is? Simon thinks that he's only in a bit of debt. He's only in a little bit of debt before God. He believes that he's very close to God. So he's got this small amount of debt. He says, okay, Simon, I'll give you that. Let's say that you only have a small amount of debt to pay. And this woman has a large amount of debt. Wouldn't she actually be more grateful than you? Wouldn't she actually have something to teach you here today, Simon? You see, every month we get a statement. We get a statement. It's a bill. It tells us what our debts are. It's a credit card debt or a housing debt or a school loan debt or a car payment debt. And you get a reckoning and you go, oh man, I'm, I'm in the hole on that one. Now hopefully you don't have all of these debts that you're in a hole on. Just maybe one of them. But you're in debt. And you see, what if God took an account of all of your past sin, all of the wrongs that you've committed, the past, present, future, all of your thoughts, all of your actions? What if he sent you a bill every month for that? What would it look like? What would your debt be? How much would you owe? How deep is the hole? That's Jesus' point. It's just forgiven the debt. In this parable, the money lender is the one who absorbs all of the debt. The money lender is the one who is now out 550 days wages. He's going to have to absorb that himself. He's going to have to have someone else that he employs uh, do that work or get that money or get that work out of somewhere else. He's not going to get it from these two individuals. Radical forgiveness requires great, great cost to him, the moneylender. In 1826, there's a novel written called Les Mis. Many of you are familiar with the story behind it. Les Mis was also made into a musical. In 2012, it came out the Hollywood version with Hugh Jackman. Now, most of you know the former pastor here, Josh Laravia. He loved the novel of Les Mis. He went with all of the publication that went into the Hollywood movie that came out. He went and sat down and he was shocked and angry at Hugh. Why is this idiot singing? No one had ever told him, hey, by the way, it's a musical. 
He went ready for the story. He was ready for it. He's like, but it's a, why are they singing? Because it's a musical. That's why. Very confused by that. But if you know the story, the play opens and the main character's just finished a 19-year sentence in prison because he had stolen bread to feed his starving nephew. Uh, the inspector was standing over him and is telling him that he's never going to be able to get out of this pit. He was always be a marked man. And now he is trying to re-enter society. And he is up against it, it would seem. He tries to get different areas in the city and he's rejected by everyone. And there's this kind bishop that brings him in, gives him food, shelter, place to sleep. This main character repays him by stealing the bishop's silver and running away into the night. You familiar with this? So as he goes away, the authorities catch him and bring him back to the bishop almost the next morning. The bishop, just like the father in the parable in Luke chapter 16, he commits a lavishly graceful act. He had no business doing, but that's what the bishop did. He tells the authorities that he has given. He said, I've given him the silver that he stole. I've, I gave it to him. It's okay. And oh, by the way, you forgot this. And he goes and he takes something of even greater value and gives him, tells him to put it in his bags and sends him on his way. And he says, wait, you need to move on from this. Spend the rest of your life as an honest man because I have bought your very soul today. Forgiveness, radical forgiveness requires great cost. Radical forgiveness requires great cost. 42 picks up. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had a bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus says. What does he say this, I suppose? It's almost like he's being sarcastic. It's almost like he's insulting his intelligence. He's saying, are, are you kidding? Come on. There's 500 denarii and there's 50 denarii. I suppose, it's almost like he's rolling his eyes. I suppose the one who had the greater debt. Radical forgiveness requires great cost. Radical forgiveness reveals God's glory, thirdly. Radical forgiveness reveals God's glory. Simon answers Jesus' question correctly, the one who had canceled a larger debt. Jesus reveals himself and his glory by how he responds. Rather than rebuking this woman, he rebukes Simon, the Pharisee, 44. He turns to the woman and said, Simon, do you see this woman? Simon's probably off to the side. This woman is near Jesus. She's weeping. And the beautiful thing is she hasn't even said a word. She hasn't spoken at all in this engagement. She's not engaged with the religious people. She's not tried to defend herself. All she knows is she cares about Jesus. And Jesus is the one who's going to defend her. He looks at her. I think he's talking to Simon, but I think he's looking at her and smiling at her with love and affection in his eyes, compassion. He says, Simon, do you see this woman? The question is really, do you even see her, Simon? Do you even see her? Do you notice her? Because when people look through the world, look at the world through religious eyes, we don't see what Jesus sees. You understand that? When we look through the world through the eyes of the box that we live in called religiosity, we miss what Jesus sees when he looks at the world. He says, do you even see her? All you see is someone who's condemnable, damnable, who's shamed. 
I see a life that can be transformed. You don't see anyone who, who has needs to learn about the love and grace of God. You don't see someone whose debt can be canceled, whose life can be transformed. But that's what I see. Simon, do you not see this? She needs help. She needs a Savior. Look at her. Who cares about your house party, Simon? Who cares? Don't you know why I'm here? Don't you know that this transformed life could be the greatest example of radical forgiveness that would ever come? And he turns towards the woman. He says, Simon, do you see her? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wept my feet and her tears and wiped them with her hair. 45, you didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. Verse 46, you did not put oil on my head, but she has been putting perfume on my feet. In front of everyone, Jesus proceeds to remind Simon that he has been rude, disrespectful, and insulting to a guest in that culture. As Jesus comes in, those are the things that he should have done in that Eastern culture, but he didn't do any of them. In fact, he violated all of those. He had not washed Jesus' feet or provided the means for Jesus to do so. He had not greeted Jesus with a welcome kiss, and he had not anointed his head with oil. Those have been the common practices, and we don't see any evidence of that. Jesus contrasted Simon's inaction and hardness with the woman's action. She had actually extended all three of these things. She had washed his feet with her tears. She had cleaned them with her hair. She kissed and anointed his feet with perfume. Radical forgiveness reveals God's glory. Verse 47, Therefore I tell you, how many sins have been forgiven? Her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven of little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven, 49. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The crowd, the people who are there, they look and they say, Who is this that's forgiving sins? This is Jesus. And if he's forgiving sins, he must be God. He must be the Messiah. They understood it. They got it. They can say, we can see why this woman is forgiven. How can you see? You can't see forgiveness. Wait a minute. You can't see forgiveness. But you can see the transformation that it gives. You can see joy and gratitude, love and affection. So Jesus uses this woman's testimony, clear as day, his power to transform a life as a witness to the Pharisees and the transforming power of His truth. God's radical forgiveness is designed to reveal God's magnificent glory. Radical forgiveness reveals God's glory. Why would a perfect, righteous God want me? Why would He want you? Others around you, they're smart, they're intelligent, and they reject you. They don't like you. They get angry at you. There's other people around you that know that you will fail them. But Jesus forgives. And Jesus chooses to move on. Uh, there, there's a way that God does is He reconciles relationships together because those who realize that they've been forgiven much, those who realize they're just as filthy as the rest of this world, those who realize that honoring and glorifying Him by forgiving others in the same way glorifies God above all else. 
So forgiveness does more than free us from our sin. It frees us to be able to give out love and forgiveness to others and to love God with all of our hearts. It's a beautiful thing. The story that I told of the Amish and how they show radical forgiveness. Do you know where I got that information from? I knew about it, but when I looked it up, you know where it came from? Lancaster, PA. Come and visit our community. That is there on their city's website. Come, visit our community. Come, learn about the Amish. And this is how the Amish live. Don't tell me that radical forgiveness doesn't glorify God. Radical forgiveness. What if forgiveness seems impossible? Radical forgiveness is impossible outside of Jesus Christ. It's impossible. There's no way. Radical forgiveness rejects common sense. Radical forgiveness requires great cost, but radical forgiveness reveals God's glory. Pastor Dick Murphy's got a close friend, and many of you know him or know of him. His name is John Fisher. He's the author of a blog. He's written a number of songs. The author of The Catch is something he writes on a weekly basis. These are his words. I think they're beautiful. It says this. We've been forgiven, so we forgive. We've been loved, so we love. We've been freely accepted, so we accept others freely. We've been given mercy, so we are merciful. We've escaped judgment, so we do not judge. We've been welcomed in, so we welcome all. The door was open to us, so we left it open for others. We are different people from what we were. We are the embodiment of grace turned outward. As we look at this series, we talk about radical forgiveness. And we use these terms of get it, give it, live it. Last week we talked about getting it, of what Jesus has done for you and for me. This week I'm talking about give it. Can you give it to others? Because that will, will change the way the community looks at us. And, and in living it out, we'll get there next week. We'll talk about what it means to live it out. But as the band comes and we'll play a song here at the end and, and a way to respond, I just want to personalize this and, and, and tell you what radical forgiveness feels like. In 2013, there's a situation that I was in and I was harboring anger against someone. I, uh, for, for other reasons as well, I decided to get away for a few days and just kind of get my head on straight as to what was going on, what I needed to do, the next step, steps, what was God's will for me and all of these things. As I was going through there, I was listening to a sermon, a podcast, and they, they preached on forgiveness. And they used Joseph as an example of being down in a well and trying to forgive his brothers of what he had done. But in that church, in that podcast, I heard them, they had given out uh, paint, uh, paint stirrer sticks to every person as they had come into the service. And they had asked everyone, they said, uh, if, if you're here this morning and you need to forgive and you're ready to forgive, we pray, I'm going to ask you to break that stir stick in half. And over the podcast of just listening to it, you could just hear the sticks breaking. Crack, 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 crack. And so I went and had a day or two away and I, I said, you know what? I need to forgive this person. It's going to eat me alive. And as I've looked at today's sermon, I, I, I didn't have that prepared that day, but it would glorify God to the greatest amount if I could forgive this person for what had happened. And so I decided in a similar way I was going to take and break a piece of wood 
I said, I'm going to break this. This is not going to control me. And, and it was in the middle of the winter. There's a fireplace. And so I got this little piece of wood. And I'll tell you what, I couldn't break that piece of wood to save my life. I'd cut it in a sliver, and I was like, yeah, it's pretty much like a paint stir, but I couldn't break it. But I, you know what? I, I think that it was, it was speaking to really the reality of the situation. I couldn't break it. I couldn't figure out, how was I going to get over this? So I kind of twisted it, I guess, and threw it in the fire. That was the best that I could do. What's going on in your heart this morning that you need to break? And you might need to wrestle with it for a while and you might need to twist it and turn it. But you need to break it. Because that radical forgiveness goes beyond what makes sense. You're saying, well, when, when, he, when he comes back and apologizes to me, then I will forgive him and, and greet him with open arms. That's not forgiveness. Radical forgiveness gives God the greatest glory. It reveals who he is and when a church can forgive one another, when a church is a place where people can come in and forgiveness is evident and everywhere that you look in that church, you say, wait a minute, there's something different going on there. Why? Because lives are transformed. That's what happens when people forgive. So dear Lord, this morning, I don't know what's on everyone's hearts and minds today, but I pray there's something there a stick that needs to be broken, a, a wound that needs to be healed. And it's probably radical. It's probably a big step. And we'll play a song here in a moment, and it might be that someone within the room needs to reconcile a relationship, ask for forgiveness, take that first step. Lord, if this is a church and this is a place where forgiveness is at the top of the list, and lives are transformed in front of us. Lord, what a beautiful place to be because that's what will give you the greatest glory. So that's our heart's desire today, to glorify you and to do so here and now, to forgive. We love you, Lord. We thank you that as we talk about this series, we get it, we give it, and we will live it but it has to start here today. Pray that you're working in hearts and pray that people would have the guts to respond. In Jesus' name, amen.